So thankful that you are here today. Uh, welcome. You know, when you're getting in the pool, there are, there are two ways to get in the pool. You might be like my oldest grandson, Taze, who's a little bit cautious, and uh, he goes in the shallow end and goes really, really slowly. Or you might be like my, his younger daughter, his younger sister, excuse me, Lalabelle, who she just jumped straight in the deep end. And guys, when it comes to heaven today, we are jumping right into the deep end. And I'm going to present to you some things I think that will really bless you, may even challenge your thinking about heaven. You know, we can keep it rather simple. A good friend of mine who's been here many times, a Bible scholar named Randy Harris, teaches at Abilene Christian University. He, he said you could sum up the book of Revelation with three sentences. God's team wins, choose your team, don't be stupid. Well, that, that's a pretty nice, simple way. And you might want to stay there. Or you might want to dive deep with this today. We're going to look at God's Word and lots of things it says about heaven that may actually surprise you a little bit. I love this quotation from Randy Alcorn. The problem is not that the Bible doesn't tell us much about heaven. It's that we don't pay attention to what it tells us. And today we're going to pay attention to what it tells us. Look at lots of different resources if you're thinking about this series. One is obviously the book on heaven by Randy Alcorn. There's another book called The Heaven Promise by Scott McKnight, New Heaven and New Earth by Richard Middleton, and a, a wonderful message series by our friend Rick Ashley. Lots of great resources out there if you want to look deeper. But the most important thing is let's just look in the Bible, right? So let's start with Revelation 21, the first few verses there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea also had gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now here's what I want you to notice in this first passage. Heaven is coming down. Scripture does not know anything about heaven waiting for us to come to heaven. Scripture knows about us waiting for heaven to come to us. It may greatly surprise you, but the Bible never uses the term that you and I often use, which is let's go to heaven. The Bible teaches that heaven is coming to us. Let me show you a couple more passages. Look at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Speaking of Jesus, it says, For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his prophets. You see, he doesn't say the final destruction of all things. He says the final restoration of all things. And he claims here that the prophets have been talking about it. You know, if I were to turn you over to Isaiah chapter 65, you'd almost think I was quoting from Revelation chapter 21. Listen for a second. See, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But he, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. All through scripture, God has promised there would be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. 
And what the book of Acts is saying here is, hold on, guys, because there's going to be a day when we're going to have an incredible restoration movement. We've been studying a lot in Rob's class recently about the restoration movement. This is the restoration movement where God moves back to earth to restore all things to the way they were always supposed to be. And look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will have been my followers and will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's talking to the apostles. And he's telling them the role that they're going to play when Jesus comes back to the earth in judgment. But I hope you notice here, he says, the world is going to be made new. Now, the Greek words used here are really, really interesting. They literally are Genesis again. The beginning again. So he says when Jesus comes back, he's going back to the beginning. Listen to me, friends. The Bible does not start in Genesis 3, at the fall of man. The Bible actually starts in Genesis chapter 1, where God created paradise. And what I believe these scriptures are going to teach us is that God never gave up on that dream. He never said that's never going to happen. He's saying there will come a day when all of that will be restored. Listen to this passage from 2 Peter chapter 3. But we're looking forward to the new heavens and new earth as he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. That perfect Eden will one day be restored. Now let's take a time out here before we look at a few more passages. How in the world can we miss this? How have most of us grown up always thinking, and I'm not telling you I'm going to convince you differently today in 30 minutes, that heaven is up there? Well, it's, it's been a problem since the first century days. Because when the church was birthed in the first century, most people believed that material goods, material things were evil and spiritual things were good, okay? And that caused the church fits from the beginning. Now, many of you have studied, like the book of 1 John, where this is addressed. Because there were a lot of people in that day saying, we're okay with Jesus being God. We're just not okay with Jesus being man. Because there's no way a spiritual God could also be in flesh. And lots of the New Testament addresses that. Now, if you get to our day, our problem is almost flip-flopped. We're okay in our day with Jesus being man. We're just not so sure about Jesus being God. But what Scripture would teach us is that Jesus is both God and man. In fact, John will say, if, if you don't teach that Jesus was literally in the flesh, he would call you the Antichrist. So, how did this division between the physical and the spiritual affect the church? Well, first of all, it affected the doctrine of the incarnation. That was the idea that God had become in the flesh. And again, 1 John addresses that. But the second doctrine it affected that we've not been as aware of is the doctrine of heaven. Because if you believe that all material, physical is evil, then heaven has got to be the place where I escape from it, and it's nothing but a place that's spiritual. 
So interesting enough, 2,000 years later, we still struggle with this division between physical and spiritual. But I hope you listen closely to the scriptures we just looked at. The promise of scripture is not a non-earth, it is a new earth, okay? So, let's keep looking a little bit further into this. And I think a passage that really brings this together for me is Romans chapter 8. And we'll look at a rather lengthy passage here. He talks about two things. If you, if you pay attention to what we're going through here, there are two things that are groaning. Creation is groaning, and we are groaning. Now, why are we groaning? Look at verse 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we all know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, listen closely, including the new bodies he's promised us. There's a lot in there. Like I mentioned earlier, there are two things that are not only groaning, but are actually hoping. First of all is creation. When everything blew up in the garden and man went into sin and we were kicked out of the garden, creation was put under a curse. But it's hoping to be restored. Now listen, if the earth is going to completely be annihilated, why is it hoping to be restored and redeemed? So he says, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> creation is going to be redeemed. But he also says here that our believers, that we groan, that our bodies were also put under a curse. As we talked last week about the resurrection of Jesus. And said that that was a promise that we would also have a bodily resurrection like Jesus. I had a few of you come up to me and I understand it. And you said, I don't want my body back. It, 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 it's, it's not very nice to live in right now. Well, what he's saying to you is you will get your body back, but it will be redeemed. It will be out from underneath the curse. You will have a new body. He is going to do for you exactly what he did for Jesus in his resurrection. So I've shown you quite a few passages there. And let's, let's try to sum up what I'm trying to say to you, okay? At the end of time, the curse of the fall will be lifted. Heaven and earth will be one, and God will walk with his people forever. Well, what a line. The curse will be lifted, heaven and earth will be one, and God will walk with his people forever. Now, understand here, guys. God is getting what he always desired. That first picture of God before the fall is walking in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. That's the first 
picture of God in us in Scripture. The last picture of God in us in Scripture is now God walking with us. So what we're seeing here is what God originally intended, his original plan, he never gave up on. That we too would live in a world that would not be cursed with a perfect world and perfect bodies walking in close communion with God. Now that's a lot. And again, if you're like me, that's probably different than your view of heaven, which my view of heaven has always been, it's up there. And I can remember years ago, <coughs> when I first heard people begin to, to teach that heaven, <coughs> excuse me just a second, would be on earth, my, my, my first reaction is, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't believe it. It sounded, sounded too far-fetched for me. And I'm going to show you the two passages that gave me the most problems, okay? These are two problems. I said, well, it, it can't be on earth because look at what this passage says. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. This is the one that always gave me fits. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, one of our problems here <coughs> is the King James Version, where, where NIV says, excuse me, with the NIV and New Living Translation say laid bare, the, the uh, King James Version said the earth will be destroyed. But listen to me. He also said the earth was destroyed in the flood. Okay? The analogy going on in 2 Peter 3 is, just like God shook everything up and surprised everybody when he came and flooded the earth and cleansed the earth and nobody knew it was coming, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back and he's going to burn the earth. Now, obviously, the flood did not destroy the earth, even though a couple of verses earlier it said the flood destroyed. And, and obviously here, when Jesus comes back, the earth will not be destroyed by this fire. The earth was cleansed in the flood. The earth is purified in the fire. And these newer translations are actually from much better manuscripts that mean it's going to be exposed. It's going to be shown. We're finally <coughs> going to see the world for what it truly is. So what Second Peter's teaching is, when Jesus comes back, the earth will be cleansed, purified. All sin will be gone. I mean, many of us, you know, are familiar with what we call control burns. And, and to us, it always looks like the very opposite of what you think would really help your field or help your grass would be to, to burn it, but it actually is very healthy. It cleanses it, it purifies it. And I believe when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a controlled burn on the earth that's going to purify the earth. I mean, look at Revelation uh, 21, verse 5, I think helps us. And the one sitting on the throne said, Looking, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Now, now pay, pay really close attention to this. In the Greek, there are two words for new. The first one is, it's new like it never existed. Let me show you this, this new thing. <coughs> Excuse me, you, you've never ever seen it. The second way is it's new in that it's better. It's just like you might go remodel your kitchen and you invite me over and you say, I've got a new kitchen. Well, it's not brand new, it's been 
remodeled. Now, here's the point. Here in Revelation 21, verse 5, it's that second word that's used. It's better. It's improved. Same word is used in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says that we are a new creation. Does that mean you are a brand new person, that you are a different person than before you came to Christ? No. It means that you've been cleansed, you've been purified, you've become a better person. So I think we can deal with 2 Peter chapter 3. In fact, I think 2 Peter chapter 3 (coughs) actually lends itself to what I'm teaching today. Now, the other passage that gave me fits was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen to this. I've read this in a lot of gravesides. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we will also we will also who are still alive remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air then we'll be with the Lord forever so encourage each other with these words you say there we go buddy that's what teaches we're going to heaven but here's what I would say if you're in the first century and you hear this passage what you hear is a picture of a conquering king coming back So if a conquering king came back, what everyone in a city would do is they would go outside of the city to greet him and to celebrate the victory. And I believe that's what's happening right here. They're they're coming out to meet the Lord. Now I would also say this is the moment where the earth is purified, when we have risen to meet the Lord before we all come, as Scripture says, to this place where heaven and earth come together. It's a really, really beautiful picture. So I think the question for most of us, if we start learning this, is, okay, buddy, what are you saying? Where are our loved ones? Where are they right now? If heaven will one day be on earth, where are the people I love now? Let me, let me tell you, I think the scriptures teach they are in paradise. Some people would call it Excuse me, guys. The present heaven, the immediate heaven. That's because heaven is where God dwells, okay? And right now, God dwells in a different place. But the teaching is one day when our bodies are resurrected. See, right now, the body's in the grave, the spirit's with God. But scripture teaches one day it will come together. Now, two weeks from today, We'll spend a lot of time talking about where our loved ones are, okay? So just hold on. Don't have time today to go deep into that. But suffice it to say, this is an illustration that may help you. Let's say you're living in extreme poverty in California. And you've been promised that you are going to live in paradise in Miami. There's a paradise created for you. You've been given tickets to this paradise. Now, let's say you're, you're leaving and you take off from California. And um, on your way to, I don't feel near as bad as I sound. Sorry about that. <coughs> Let me cut it off just for a second. Okay, you leave California and on your way to Miami, you have a layover in Dallas. But you make it to California. Now, if I asked you what you did, you'd say, 
I left this terrible place and I made it to the great place. You probably wouldn't even tell me about Dallas. Dallas is just a layover. And guys, our loved ones are at the layover place. The Bible calls it paradise. Many people call it the immediate present heaven. So we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But let's, let's get practical here just for the last 10 minutes. What does believing in heaven on earth do for us, okay? If we really believe, and I'm not saying you accept this right now, it's okay. I'm just throwing this out to you. What difference does it make? Number one, it gives us a more realistic view of life on this earth. Guys, listen to me. I think we miss this sometimes. We don't live in heaven right now. We, we live in a fallen earth. This is a difficult place to live. It's not only difficult, but thank God... It's short. And guys, if, if you ever feel like you're going to be able to become completely comfortable on this earth, you're, you're setting yourself up for great disappointment. This is a fallen earth. It's watching popular TV show the other night, Stephanie, I followed This Is Us. And, and they're getting to the end of, end of this program right now. They only have a few episodes left. And the mother, who's been the star throughout the whole show, has got Alzheimer's, and she's very close to death. And her daughter's getting married, and they've gone to this wedding. And, and they're, trying to, you know, they're trying to work around the mother and her forgetting everything. It's really sad. And when they get up to try to talk about life, they talk about holding on to memories they talk about, you know, life goes so fast, you've got to stop every once in a while and just, it, 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 it's some really good stuff. But what I noticed was there was no hope of an afterlife. There was nothing like how we know mom's going downhill, we know we won't have her very long with us, but we do know one day she'll be completely cured and free. And guys, that's where our secular culture has left us, is we're only stuck on a fallen earth. My friends, we understand that. It keeps us from disappointment, but we know it's not the end. We, we sing a song, the world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. That part's true. I don't think so true is the next line. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. No, I think it's going to be right here. That brings me to number two. Heaven and earth, on earth, gives us a more concrete picture of life on the new earth. You see, a lot of times when we talk about heaven, our images are so nebulous. I feel like Randy Alcorn said there, it's not because the Bible didn't say a lot about it. I just didn't notice it. I'd read through the passages I just showed you and go, okay, heaven's still up there. And we're going to be on the clouds, you know, playing our harp and lifetime forever worship service. That's not what the scripture teaches. The, the scripture teaches you will have a real body, perfect body, on a real earth that paradise lost has been paradise regained. And when I see that, guys, when I visualize this, I can see, just like in the garden, people will work, they will play, they will be with friends, they will eat, they will enjoy life. Yes, they will worship. But it'll be a part of a whole broad life. And for me, this is not hard to visualize because I can just simply visualize this place being perfect. Remember, we talked about Chris Spillman last night, last week, when he had to tell his daughters that mom was about to die. And he said, You know, 
Mommy loves to run. And when she passes away, she's going to be able to run as much as she wants. Mommy loves to dance. And she'll be able to dance perfectly. Guys, I've been thinking about so many of you, even, even this morning. I couldn't believe when Carl Ramona Hobson walked in because I was, I was thinking about Craig. If you knew Craig, man, he was some kind of man. And I think Craig in heaven's not going to be some spirit just floating around, man. He's going to be the Craig that we knew and loved, just perfect. I can visualize Craig on a motorcycle having a great time. I look over here, I see David and Melanie, and I think about Griffin and how full of life he was and how tragic that he passed away so quickly. But now I can visualize the things Griffin loved. He will still love. He will still enjoy. So it gives me a more concrete vision. Everything's changed. It's like um, something I read about this week. There's a, a missile silo in Paducah, Kansas. And today it's an Airbnb. What was meant for war has been transformed into a place of rest. And guys, we're in a battleground right now. But I can visualize a concrete heaven as a place of rest. And then number three, it gives us a better understanding of our mission now. Guys, what we hope for, we live for now. Often it seems like our only mission is to save souls and then let's get out of here and get to heaven. Let's just do the best we can here, and then I'll fly away while the world goes to hell. Jesus taught, my friends, that the kingdom of God, sometimes he called it, the kingdom of heaven is near. And what we are to be is a glimpse of coming attractions. Jesus commanded us to pray that whatever your will is in heaven, that it be done on this earth. So what do we do? What's our mission now? Our mission is... To go ahead and begin the process of bringing heaven to earth. If people are hungry, we feed them. If they're sick, we minister to them. If they're enslaved in addictions, we seek to give them freedom. If they're lonely, we give them relationships. If they're dealing with racism and looking at people differently, we're the people that break down those walls. It makes me so mad that you can't talk about racism now without it seeming like a political statement. My friends, it's not a political statement. It's a kingdom statement. It's what things are going to be like when Jesus comes back. If people today are distant from God, our ministry is to bring them to be reconciled to God for them to receive a taste of heaven right now. And guys, the taste of heaven that we as the body of Christ are able to give ourselves and give other people is something that should simply make people hungry and yearn for heaven and for God to come back. Because listen to me, guys. Let's go back to this a second because I'm talking to people right now, and this gives us great hope. But we are living on a fallen earth. And right now, life may not be so good for you. And so when we stop in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to have some prayer time. I want to invite all of our shepherds, their wives, and ministers, and their spouses, if they'd come surround the stage. We're going to have a prayer time today because as we talk about heaven, let's not forget that right now we're still in a fallen earth and that life is not easy. And so today, if you need prayers just to be strengthened, if you go, buddy, this is so good. This is good news. I love this vision of heaven. And I can't wait to get there or for it to get here. 
That's awesome. But right now you go, I'm holding on with a string. I, I feel the full force of a, a fallen, difficult, challenging earth. And right now, I just need some prayers to hold on till Jesus comes back. Life is not quite right. So I invite you in the next few minutes, you see the stage, there's plenty of folks to pray with. Just come up to one of us and just make sure you give us, give us your name. Sometimes we go blank. And, and tell us what we can pray about. What's going on right now? Whatever prayer needs you may have. One thing I love about this church is you love to pray with your leaders. And we have godly leaders. And this morning, you know, you don't have to write something down. We're not going to publicly say it. You just come to, to one of these people, one of these couples and go, this is what's going on. Some of these people around this stage, they have, they've endured great loss. They understand what it is. Maybe right now yours is, I'm just missing a loved one. And I'm so thankful to know that one day we're going to be reunited. And I'm going to actually know them. And, and maybe you just need some prayers to hang on to that day. Now for some of you, maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. And I can't really give you hope because this hope is found in Jesus. And today, you need to begin life all over. And today, if if you'd like to, you can come back here and be baptized and have the old man buried and a new man resurrect. And God will begin the process of making you more and more like Jesus, preparing you for the day when you will see him face to face and you will be like him. Let me remind you where we started this morning with that quotation from my friend Randy Harris. You need to understand this. In the long run, God's teams win. Choose your team. And let me challenge you, don't be stupid. Choose the team. Let God bless you. So let's stand together and sing. And if you need prayers or if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, please come right now.